So good morning once again, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here. And in this series, brethren, we've been talking about different people, you know, we consider the ones of Jesus Christ who came to Christ for help, and when they met the Lord, their lives were never the same again. And why are we going through the Gospels? Why are we studying these people? Because we believe, brethren, that these people represents our ones. Right? They symbolize, they give us a picture that out there, there's a desperate woman. There is a demon-possessed man. There is a dying boy. There is a child who is in need. There's a father who is crying and there's a mother who is in a crisis. And today, our lesson is about a mother. A mother who has been commended by our Lord Jesus Christ to have great faith. So the title of our message today, A Mega Faith Mother. A Mega Faith. Do you have a mega faith? What does it take for a person to be commended by our Lord to have mega faith. Mega, that's the word used by our Lord Jesus Christ. In the whole gospel narratives, there are only two people that Jesus Christ commended as having a mega faith. All right? Only two people. Not one of these disciples, not even Mary, the mother of Christ but two Gentile people, you know, a mother and a father. So probably we will take up the father on Father's Day. <laughs> so today we have this Gentile mother who came to Christ and Christ commended her, telling her, you have great faith. That word great there comes from the Greek word megas, mega. It means huge, great, big. So why do you think Jesus Christ commended this mother? Our main idea for this message is this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. From James 4.6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that would give us an idea why this mother was commended by our Lord to have mega faith. Because her faith was humble, and yet it was honoring, it was hoping, and it was hanging on. So we are going to study that faith of this mother that Christ gave her that commendation, having a mega faith. Now let's study the context as we are going to go into this story. So when did this happen? Why did this happen? Look at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Leaving that place. What place are we talking here? We're talking here, of course, of Capernaum. You know? Remember, Jesus Christ's ministry is around Galilee, and she would, he would bounce back and forth, Capernaum. He would cross the other side of the lake and then go back, and then he would go to the other regions. But... The center of Christ's ministry, you know, for three years is really in Capernaum. That's 
where he lives temporarily with, with Peter, right? And he left that place, according to Mark, in Mark's account, Mark's parallel passage, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered the house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Now, this tells us that, that Jesus Christ is moving out from Capernaum because there was already a growing, you know, building pressure towards Christ. He is becoming so popular, and so more people are coming. And then, of course, his popularity also attracted the attention of what? The enemies, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. And so there is a growing pressure for Jesus that there was already tension between the disciples and Christ and the religious leaders. And so Jesus Christ just wanted to have a rest away from all this crowd. And that is why Mark tells us that he did not want anyone to know it. So this particular day, he is outside, you know, Israelite territory. So he went to Tyre. Tyre, by the way, and Sidon is present-day Lebanon. So this is no longer part of Israel. This is already a Gentile territory. This is outside his ministry. So technically, when we study the scripture, we find that at this moment, Jesus just Christ wants have rest. All right? Just like what some of you did this week. You know? We went out, you know, out from our work and just relax. It's summer. And I envy those of you, you already went to some beautiful beaches, secret place, you know. <laughs> All right? Just like our Lord, you know. He got tired. Of course, He is human. He's God, but He is also a man. And He just wants to relax. And by the way, it's, it's okay to relax. You know, it's perfectly okay. Don't be guilty if, if you need to unwind. If, because our Lord Himself wanted to relax. So He brought His disciples. But look at, look at the last part of verse 24. It says, Yet He could not keep His presence secret. So, so Jesus Christ thought that, you know, if we just go to Tyre and Sidon, you know, nobody knows us there. It's a Gentile territory. We've never been there. So probably no one knows about us, so we can just relax and go into this particular house, right? So Jesus wanted to have a moment with his disciples. And by the way, a bit about, you know, Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, is, it's, it's familiar in the Scripture, right? Jesus Christ always uses this as an illustration. He, he would say that, you know, you Bethsaida, you Capernaum, you know, if the miracles that I've been doing to you, if they were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. So Tyre and Sidon for the Jews is a place of what? Of extreme paganism. All right? So there is an extreme paganism in this area. This is the area where Queen Jezebel, remember, started Baal worship. So this is a curse place, right? This is the center of Baalism during the time of, you know, Elijah, right? And so we are talking here of a Gentile territory 
We are talking here of a place where uh, Flavius, the first century Jewish historian, made the remark that Tyre represented the most bitter enemy the Jews had at that time. And that 2,000 years ago, and even up to this moment, there's always tension between Lebanon and Israel. So, Tyre and Sidon, this is present-day Lebanon. And so, Jesus Christ entered this territory, supposedly wanting to have rest. And so, His plan was to have private moment with His disciples, but an uninvited guest came. Okay, look at verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So there's your vacation, Jesus. <laughs> there's a moment of solitude, and now here's a mother, desperate for her daughter. And so I want us here to learn three things about this mother so that we will know what is mega faith, all right? So this is where our outline begins. The first point is that this mother came with a predicament. The mother's predicament. The mother came to Jesus with three pressing problems. Predicament, all right? First, the first predicament that we find here is that she came from a cursed race. You know, a cursed race. Remember, she's a Canaanite according to Matthew. She came from a place where God cursed. All right? The Canaanites. Look at verse 22. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him. So being a Canaanite means that she came from a cursed race. A race that is outside the covenant of God. And one of the mortal enemies of the Israelites. And in Mark's account, we are also told that she was a Greek. Right? The Greek word there is Hellenist. So he is, he is not a Jew. Right? He's a Greek, he's a Gentile, she's a Gentile. And we are told also that she was born in Syrian Phoenicia. That's why she's also famously called as the Syrophoenician woman. Right? So we find here that she was born in this region of Tyre and Sidon where Jezebel started Baalism. Where Jezebel, you know, started to pervert the religion of the Jews by setting up Baal, you know, worship there. So we're talking here of, you know, a cursed place. And the woman came from that place, a place where Jews would never set foot. Jews would never dare touch them because for the Jews, if they touch a Canaanite person, that would make them unclean. So I want us to understand the Jews, you know, they have this uh, demeaning attitude towards Canaanite people. Uh, they look at them as dirty, right? So that's one predicament. How could she come to Jesus, 
you know, a Jewish rabbi and she's coming from a cursed generation or race. Secondly, she came with a critical request. She came with a critical request. Look at this. Crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. But first, notice that when she came, she first gave, you know, honor to Jesus. Now, this is something, you know, unique. Because here's a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman, coming to a Jewish rabbi and, and you know, addressing him as Lord, Son of David. This is very unusual because here's a Gentile who acknowledges that this person is the Lord, the curious God, and Son of David, it's a messianic title. So clearly we find here that this woman is paying homage to this, to this man. He's paying honor. He's honoring, she's honoring him. Lord, that's, that's equivalent to sovereign, you know, master, God. She's saying that, you know, you are more than just a rabbi. You are Lord. And, and you, are, you are the Messiah that the Jews were waiting. All right? So that's something that we can learn from this woman. And then she cried out, have mercy on me. Right? There's that phrase again that usually used by the Jews, but this is a Gentile woman. You know, Kyrie Elisin, Lord have mercy in Greek. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So she came with a terrible request, Lord, have mercy on me. So she's pleading. She's literally, you know, kneeling before the Lord. Lord, have mercy on me. You know, my daughter is dying. Lord, I know you're having your vacation. I know this is your time off from your ministry. I know this is your day off or you're having a, a leave. But Lord, I'm desperate. I have this critical problem. My daughter is demon-possessed, right? And she's suffering terribly. You know, the Greek word there, terribly, is kakos. Even the sound itself is so nasty, kakos. You know what it means? It means terribly, miserably. Okay? It's a superlative degree of suffering. That's the point, kakos. And if you're a parent, you know, I'm sure we can relate to this mother. Again, we've, we've already experienced a father's terrible pain for, for his son. Here's a mother's pain. And of course, a mother's pain is what? Double. It doubles the pain of a father. If we, we had the story of a father, you know, begging Jesus for, for his son, imagine the pain of a mother. You know? Imagine, imagine the pain of the mother. And, and the mother here is begging the Lord. Okay? And according to, to Mark's account in verse 25, look at Mark's account. So we are bouncing back and forth, Matthew and Mark. 
to see the whole story here. As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose, lit, whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. See? Notice here the desperation of this woman. She fell at his feet. She's really crying out, Lord, I need you. But here's the third predicament of this woman. She came to a cold response. Eh? It's, it's one thing to be so desperate about your situation, but when you come to the person whom you think can help, that then that person is giving you a cold response, that's terrible. Right? Notice what happened in verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. What happened to the compassionate Lord? <laughs> All right? What's happening here? All right? Jesus Christ is not saying anything. It's like he's just cold, you know? Deadma. term. And more than that, look at what the disciples, his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Right? Well, did Jesus Christ care? We even have a hymn. Does Jesus care? All right. Thank you, choir. <laughs> yes, that's Jesus care. But where is the care of our Lord here? See? It's like the disciples were so indifferent and apathetic. Lord, send her away. Lord, you know, this is our vacation. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we do that. I mean... I don't know with you, but sometimes you do that. Like maybe those professionals, like if you're a doctor and you're on a vacation and, you know, somebody is asking for help, I think sometimes you feel, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm having a vacation with my, with my family. Sorry. Can I refer you to another doctor? Can I? It's like Jesus saying, no, nada. I mean, nothing. There was no answer. And friends, Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, it's possible that, you know, that, that these disciples were just, you know, so overwhelmed with work and ministry that at times they become callous. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're just so tired and you know what, you know what, you know, we, we have done so many miracles already. Uh, can we have a day off? See? That's what happens here. They, they, were, they were annoyed by this woman. Alright? And what about Jesus Christ? He's not saying anything. And so friends, that's a predicament. You know? It's like you've been, you've been you probably this woman heard about Christ and now that Christ has, has entered their vicinity and, and so she's so anxious to, to, see, to see Him and now Christ is there before Him, the very person that could bring healing to her daughter and not a word. Beloved, despite, despite this seemingly cold response of Jesus and the disciples, this mother wasn't willing to give up. You know? Wasn't willing to give up. He cannot receive a no for an answer. Alright? And so what happened? Then we see the next part. The mother's persistence. 
Alright? So that was the first, it's like the first, I'm sure Jesus Christ was testing this woman. I don't think that Jesus Christ, there's a point in Jesus Christ's life that He doesn't care. He always cares because He's our Lord. But what is He doing here? Not a word. But you know what? That never stopped the woman from persisting. Alright? Okay, first, she had to overcome rejection. So there was rejection there. You know, what Jesus was doing, not a word, being silent, silent treatment, that was rejection. What disciples did, you know, send her away because she's annoying, that's rejection. But you know what the Bible says? It says here, for she keeps crying out after us. You know that word crying out? The Greek word is krazu. And the sound, krazu, is like the word itself. He was like a krazuz. That's the point. He was literally annoying. He, she was screaming. She was crying and she was screaming again and again. And so the disciples were annoyed. You know, she had to overcome that rejection, you know. I don't care if you are, you know, annoyed by my crying, but I, I will keep on crying until I get what I want. All right? She had to overcome racism also in her persistence. All right? Look at verse 24. So Jesus Christ first was silent, no word, and that thing already was already, you know, painful for the mother. But then when Jesus Christ did said anything, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So finally, Jesus gave an answer, but it seemed harsh and insensitive, at least on the surface. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So first, Jesus ignored her. Then he tells her that, you know what? My mission is for the Jews. You are not a Jew. Sorry. So sad. You know, friends, this portion of the scripture is so critical that a lot, listen, a lot of liberal believers and atheists would use this account, all right, to say that Jesus, see, Jesus is not perfect. He is not sinless. Look at this account, they would say. Look at this. He's acting what? Insensitive. He's a racist. That's, that's what they say. I mean, look at this. There was a moment in Jesus Christ's life that he was so insensitive. Here's a poor mother begging and look at the answer of this Jesus Christ. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That was some sort of racism, right? I'm not for you. You're a, you're a Canaanite. You know, I'm for the Jews. Sorry. And you know what? Even with that obstacle, the woman persisted. Notice the next thing. You know, verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. She's so desperate about her daughter's situation that she's willing to overcome rejection, you know, the cold treatment, the sending away. 
And now she's willing to receive racistic statements like, you know what, I'm only for the Jew. She won't stop. She won't surrender. She's persistent. All right? Let's try to see if Jesus Christ is going to give a third blow. She had to overcome religion. <laughs> All right? So if rejection doesn't stop her, if racism doesn't stop her, maybe religion. Look at verse 26. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Oh boy. So harsh. And here the liberals are saying, Oh no, this is it. Definitely Jesus Christ has already crossed the limit. So he is not just telling that, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're a Canaanite and you don't deserve my attention. Now he's calling her a dog? <laughs> I mean, is this part of the gospel? See? It's not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Friends, clearly this is a parable. This is a very short parable of Jesus Christ. And, and even the woman understood the meaning of this parable. The children here, of course, refers to the children of Israel. The bread here, of course, bread is always what? A symbol of God's blessing, the gospel. And dogs refers to the Gentiles. It, this is very easy. You know, why? Because, again, you're talking here of the um, animosity between this region and the Jews for so many years. This traces back during the time of, of King Ahab. See? They are worst enemies. And even up to today. Alright? And so, it, it, was a common, it was a common word that the Jews would use to demean Gentiles. They call them dogs. And by the way, I'm a dog lover myself. All right? Dogs in the, in the Bible are not the cute little dogs, the fluffy dogs that we love. Dogs in its derogatory use means what? A wild scavenger. All right? They are wild. They are scavengers. They go around. They are dirty. They eat garbage and even decaying corpses of other animals. So to say that a man, you're a dog, it's the worst kind of insult that a person could say to another person at that time. Alright? So what's, what's happening here? What's happening here? Dogs. Alright? Even Jesus Christ used that, you know, that illustration in, in Matthew 7, 6. Remember? Jesus said, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. You see? That's the point. You don't give the things that are sacred to pigs. They don't understand it. They don't give that to dogs. So friends, what are we talking here? Now before we misjudge Jesus Christ and before, you know, we misquote and misunderstand Him, all right? Let us try to understand the meaning of the dogs here. Again, in Revelation 22, 15, outside are dogs. What are these dogs? Those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They are called dogs. Now, question, 
Is that the word that Jesus Christ used about this woman? <laughs> See, that's the problem because in our English, it's just dog. <laughs> but in the Greek, they have two words for dogs. All right, the first one, dog, kion, that's the wild dog. That's the word, the word used in the verses I just used. All right, dirty wild dogs. That's what the Jews would use to call Gentiles. You are dogs. Remember Paul even called they are dogs. They are flesh mutilators. No? False teachers are dogs. But that's not the word Jesus Christ used about this woman. Okay? There is another word that Jews would use, and this is the word kainarion. Oh, this is what I love. <laughs> Little house puppies. All right? Little house puppies. That's, that's the word Jesus Christ used here, right? And, and He is giving us a very common picture that in a, in a common Jewish house, there are families, they eat, and there are little puppies waiting for the, you know, the food that fall from the table. That's, that's what Jesus Christ is saying. But you know what? Even so, even if Jesus is talking here about little puppies, still, she's telling that I'm... Um, it's like the woman was, am I a little puppy to you? Even if it's a cute word, it's still derogatory. Have, have, has anyone called you a little puppy? Will you not be insulted? Friends, let's go to Mark because Mark added there something that, that probably Matthew missed. Alright? When Matthew was writing it, probably he missed that word. Because this is how Mark wrote it. This is how Jesus answered the woman. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. See, it, it makes sense now. Right? So Jesus Christ is saying, first, the woman was just waiting for that word, first. Because when Jesus says, first, the woman says, I don't care if you call me a dog. At least I know if, if first, if, if, if you came first, then I could be second, third, fourth. I don't care as long as I'll be part. That's the woman's answer. All right? So, so the, the picture here is, is like Jesus talking about that little puppy waiting for the breadcrumbs to fall. And friends, you notice that the woman here wasn't reacting negatively. Alright? Notice the reaction of the woman. Yes, it is Lord, she said. Even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You know what? There is no resistance here. There, she is not clamoring for rights and, and her dignity. She is not saying, oh, you're calling me a dog? How dare you call me a dog? I may be a, a, a gentle woman, but I am no dog. You don't find that from the reaction of the woman. Why? Because the woman understood. She knew Jewish theology somehow. She knew that Christ came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. It's always repeated in the Scripture, remember? 
Even the way Jesus commanded the disciples, when He was sending the twelve, He says, you go only to the lost sheep of what? Of Israel. Why? Because in God's timetable, the Messiah should come first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. So Jesus Christ was simply telling the woman here, before we misunderstand Him, He was telling the woman, you know what? I'm here for the world, but God has a timetable. The Jews first, then the Gentiles. And the woman got that. That's why the woman says, yes, Lord. But even dogs eat at the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And friends, that, you know what? That got the attention of our Lord. You know, Jesus was, was so shocked when this woman, you know, said that. Why? Because Jesus thought that with that statement, that would somehow discourage the woman. Again, the point is to test the woman's faith. But you know, the woman persisted. You know, her response was says, Yes, Lord, I understand. No, I, I have no prior claim to your mercy. I am just a Gentile. I am just coming from a cursed generation. I understand that. I don't claim to be part of the children. But surely, Lord, surely from your great blessing, from your bounty, there are crumbs available for us. That's what She's saying, we are dogs who wait for the crumbs, but one crumb is all that I'm asking for, Lord. She wasn't asking for everything. She was just asking for the crumbs. And for that, Jesus Christ praised, praised her. Jesus Christ praised her. Do you see the heart of this mother? The mother wasn't fighting for her rights, for her dignity. No, she was begging for the littlest, for the tiniest blessing that fall from the master. And that made Jesus Christ this statement. Jesus recognized her faith, brethren. Jesus Christ recognized her faith. Look at what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Woman, you have great faith. Because this woman wasn't fighting for something that doesn't belong to her. She was willing. She was only asking for what? For a puppy's portion. Not the whole feast. And that, you know, moved the heart of our Lord that Jesus Christ said to her, Woman, you have a mega faith. I've never seen such faith from all the Jewish people that I met. Can you imagine this? It would take a Gentile woman to cause Jesus Christ to say, you have a great faith. Because Jesus Christ was testing her, you know, the same way that Abraham was tested by God. You know, these kinds of ways are not uncommon. Sometimes, God would test us if we are truly persistent in the way we believe in Him. Friends, this tells us that when we ask, God doesn't give us immediately. Alright? 
Persistence would grow our faith. And that's what Jesus Christ was trying to grow in this woman's heart. Not giving her immediately what she wanted because Jesus Christ wants her faith to bloom. And friends, that tells us that for us to have mega faith, it means we should be willing to wait and persist and even humble ourselves before God. No ayota of what? Entitlement. Because a lot of us, we go to God and we, we always got, you know what, God? You know, I've been helpful to the church. I gave so much to the church. Lord, I need this. Please give this to me. Sometimes we do that, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Sometimes we come to God with some of our rights and what? I deserve this. I deserve that. Friends, this lesson teaches us when we come to Jesus, we should come with nothing. Zero. Humbling ourselves. Even to the point of telling the Lord, Lord, I am just a poor puppy before you. I don't demand the whole feast. I just need, you know, the breadcrumbs that fall from, the, from your feet, Lord. And that's why Jesus recognized her faith. You have great faith, you know. So what is a mega faith, brethren? A mega faith is one that is hoping you're always hoping, you are hopeful, you're humbling, and you're hanging on. You don't quit. A mega faith is a faith that doesn't give up easily, no matter what obstacles would come. It's really persistent. See? You don't give up easily. And friends, this is connected. Remember, remember to that, that situation of that father with a demon-possessed son? That the father says, how come your disciples could not drive out this demon? The same issue. They lack persistence. Probably they just said to the demon, Demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. Wait, wala man. And then stop. See? So Jesus Christ was saying, this kind, you have to pray and fast. So what is the essence of prayer and fasting? It's persist, pers being persistent. You know, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's going to your knees and, and begging the Lord and asking the Lord until God does something. We need that kind of faith today. Because today, we, we are in a generation, we want everything to be instant, you know? Even God, we want, when we ask God, we want God to do something that is instant. Friends, God wants to develop our faith. That's why God wants us to wait. Then Jesus rewarded her faith. You know, Jesus rewarded her faith. Your request is granted. See? And her daughter was healed. Take note, at that moment. Imagine that. Jesus doesn't even has to say, you know, a magic formula. No. Jesus doesn't have to go to that place Jesus simply declared, your request is granted, and then her daughter was healed at that instant. Amazing! Okay? That's how our Lord would respond to a mega faith, brethren. That's, 
how our Lord would respond. So the mother knew that she was nothing, had nothing, and deserved nothing, which puts her in the right place to depend solely on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, God's grace was given. You know what? She was just begging for breadcrumb, but you know what? God gave her the whole table. That's the amazing thing, brethren, with our Lord. You see? The good news is that in the overflow of mercy and grace that comes to us from the hands of God, though we should be satisfied with crumbs, God, listen to this, is not satisfied with giving us crumbs. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. God is a rich God. You cannot underestimate the rich generosity of our God. Only we should humble ourselves. Friends, He has appointed us not as pets. <laughs> he has appointed us to be the guests of His what? Of His wedding banquet. Amen? Though we are Gentiles. No, I'm, I'm talking as Gentile, as a Gentile. See? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ, at first we don't, we don't belong. Remember, Christ came for the Jews, the chosen people of God. But praise God, because we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know what happens? We have become adopted children. We are the wild, what? The wild, you know, olive that has been grafted. And we are now part of the family of God. And we are not just pets, but we are guests. In fact, Jesus said, He is coming again, and He is going to drink this cup of the wine in the table with us. Isn't that amazing, brethren? We don't just get breadcrumbs. We receive the feast itself because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And what can we learn from this woman, brethren? Important thing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want us to look forward to that day, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen? We're invited to that feast. And we don't just get breadcrumbs. We get the best of the feast. Why? Because God is a gracious God. So whenever you ask for something, don't be proud. Don't seek for entitlement. Don't come with all your, you know, I deserve this, I deserve that. Let's come to Him with nothing. And He is willing to give us everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your bounty. We thank You, Lord God, just like this woman, Lord, we are asking, Lord God, for just tidbits of your blessings. But you are not satisfied with giving us crumbs, O oh God. In fact, you want, Lord, us to feast in your goodness. And Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, O oh God, that you're a merciful God. You love us so much, O oh God, that you give us more than what we need. 
in this Mother's Day, we honor this mother, this gentle mother, whom you have commended to have mega faith. And ask, oh God, that somehow we could have the same faith, Lord, as hers. Begging for crumbs from you, Lord. Increase our faith that we may truly come to you humble, hopeful, and hanging on. In Jesus' name, amen.